Hi, I'm Kelly Cervantes, and this is Seizing Life, a bi-weekly podcast produced by Citizens United for Research in Epilepsy, CURE. Today, amid the COVID-19 pandemic, we bring you another remotely recorded episode of Seizing Life. As we all struggle through these uncertain times, individuals and families touched by epilepsy are facing difficult decisions about putting themselves and their loved ones at risk in order to access the care and medications they need. Today, we speak with someone who has spent much of her professional life assisting epilepsy patients and families in accessing care, information, and medications. Patricia Gibson has worked within the epilepsy community for more than 40 years. She is an associate professor in the Department of Neurology at Wake Forest University School of Medicine and serves as the executive director of the Epilepsy Alliance of North Carolina. Pat is Zooming with us today to talk about challenges and strategies for accessing quality epilepsy care. Pat, thank you so much for joining us today. We are just so honored to have you. You are a um, a legend and a hero, certainly in the North Carolina epilepsy community, but I would argue uh, throughout the country as well. And we are just um, beyond thrilled to be able to speak with you today. Um, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Uh, so how did you get started in the epilepsy community? Did you have a personal connection? What, what drew you uh, to this amazing group of people? Well, actually, I have no personal um, connection. Uh, Many years ago, when I first got out of school, out of graduate school uh, in social work, I took a job uh, with the State Health Department of Virginia, and I uh, covered 14 counties, and I was a medical and psychiatric consultant to a large number of clinics. And one of those clinics was child neurology. And we were very lucky. Uh, we had um, a very well-known um, epileptologist uh, from UVA who came out and covered that end of the state with a clinic, a child neurology clinic. And we would see 250 kids in two and a half days. And then he left and I was responsible for watching after those children. And of all the clinics I worked in, defective hearing, um, a rheumatic fever, a whole variety of clinics. The kids that, that really touched me the most were the kids with epilepsy. And the thing that bothered me more than anything, Kelly, was the unfairness, the stigma that was attached to this. And it was much more so then uh, in those years than now. Um, but that, was, that really attracted me to, to those children and wanting to do something about this, this ignorance, this uh, that surrounded epilepsy. Uh, and so that's how I became first involved. And then I later left and went to um, direct a mental health center. And that doctor kept sending me patients uh, to, talk to, to talk with. And then when he got an NIH grant to establish the fir- one of the first comprehensive epilepsy programs in the country, he called and asked me to come to North Carolina because he really wanted to do a more regional program, include part of Tennessee, North Carolina, and Virginia. And, and so he sent me to North Carolina to help set up an epilepsy program here. And that's how I got involved. And we are so grateful that you did. I want to go back to two pieces that you brought up and just um, 
get some clarity. The first is you talk about a comprehensive epilepsy program. Um, what does that mean? What does that entail? Well, Dr. Dreyfus and Dr. Kevin Penry, who was um, head of the epilepsy section at NIH at the time, and who was responsible for getting the funding for these programs, um, he, they both felt strongly that the treatment of epilepsy was more than just handing over a, a prescription. There was so much more involved that you really needed a team to treat epilepsy. You needed the pharmacologist, you need the social worker, you need the nurse, you need the VR counselor, you need a true team uh, addressing this, this problem. It's, compl it's complicated, it's complex, uh, it, can't, it, it, it involves so much more than just giving someone a prescription for medicine. And that's what a comprehensive epilepsy program was supposed to be all about. It's really to be treated by a whole team of people. And I cannot even begin to stress how important that mindset is. And it's not just, um, it is establishing from the get-go a team mentality around the care. I think obviously the caregivers are aware as they are juggling clinic appointments with all of these different yeah. uh, professionals, but it's also having clinicians that are willing to work with others and recognizing that they are one piece mm -hmm. of so I, I think what you bring up there is incredibly valuable and important because in many hospitals, doctors work in silos. They treat their single condition, and uh, but especially when it comes to epilepsy and other neurological conditions, it is they, they are one clinician amongst a team keeping the machine of that human operating. And so I think there's just so much value in that. Um, the other piece that I wanted to go back to is you mentioned stigma within the epilepsy community and, or uh, stigma, not within the community, but, but for those who are affected by epilepsy. Uh, you mentioned that you do believe that uh, the, the stigma has lessened in recent years. Um, can you explain sort of what kind of stigma you had seen before and uh, stigma that people experience now and, and why you think that transition has occurred? Why are we seeing less stigma? Well, let me point out, it, stigma is still alive and well. I, I'm sorry to report, <laughs> but it has, from my experience, lessened. Um, years ago, and one of the reasons I set up a, a nationwide telephone information line is that I wanted people to be able to call and get information um, and without having to reveal who they were because so many people at that time were not willing to tell people they had this problem. Um, they were told by many people around them, families, even some physicians, not to tell anyone. Um, that uh, you know they didn't want their child being treated differently, so they they just sim simply didn't share that, especially if the seizures were controlled. And um, I would I heard many horror stories. I mean, every day I would pick up the phone and hear something really just shocking to me. Um, and then over time, and and you know the ep comprehensive epilepsy programs, a big part of them, especially our program, is education. We do tremendous amount of education of all groups. 
you know, one year I did uh, 95 workshops across the state for, just for teachers. Uh, we covered every county except uh, two counties. We mixed them. They were very small counties. We, we sort of did them all together. Um, and, you know, I saw television things starting to mention epilepsy or there was a cartoon, you know, one of the cartoons had epilepsy uh, represented in one of the, the um, uh, people in it. And just little by little, it started changing. And so now I see young people just talking openly, you know, uh, about epilepsy. They'll just, they talk about everything now, you know, <laughs> nothing is, is sacred. Um, so I have seen a really big change in that regard. It's still there though. Um, I did a 20 year project in my county focusing on fourth grade students and teaching every fourth grader in my county for 20 years about epilepsy in a really positive manner. Um, and I, I saw a lot of changes during that time. And, you know, I think it, it has improved. It's still not perfect. And I think as long as there are people in this world, it won't be human beings being what they are. Um, but I do have a lot of, uh, I have seen a lot of change and I'm very pleased about that change. Hi, this is Brandon from Citizens United for Research in Epilepsy, or CURE. For the 65 million people worldwide living with epilepsy, progress is unacceptably slow. At CURE, our mission is to find a cure for epilepsy by promoting and funding patient-focused research. Learn more at cureepilepsy.org. Now back to this episode of Seizing Life. Tell us about the Epilepsy Information Service, this, this phone line that you created, because parents do have questions. And, and of course, there wasn't always the internet for us to go doing deep dive 3 a.m. Google searches as my generation has grown accustomed. Yeah. Um, that wasn't always the case, but also there isn't, you know, you're, you're sifting through, you know, pages on the internet and to be able to have a phone number with someone on the other line that can answer your questions in an educated way where did this come from? Is it still around? How? Yeah. Well, I, I opened this um, years in 1979, and I did so because I was in a situation working with the leading epileptologists in the world, and I would often find information that would be helpful to patients that hadn't been published yet. And I thought, you know, I have so much information and, and I can help people. And I, I, uh, and, and I thought a really quick way to get this out, it, rather than seeing everyone one-on-one, -on -one, is that if I opened up the telephone line and, and made it open to anyone to call, you wouldn't have to give me your name. You could ask me anything. And I might be able to get some of this information out quicker. So I, I, I got the funding and, and um, 1979 and I opened that line. It was originally meant just for North Carolina, but one day they came and worked on my phone and they accidentally opened me up to the whole nation. And so since 1980, it has been nationwide. And, and that line operates today. I'm here answering calls today uh, on that line. Um, and we, you know, we get calls about everything. And a lot of people, my two top calls, I get two categories of calls. One is newly diagnosed, scared to death people. 
that are searching everywhere for answers and they don't know what to do. They're just so upset and afraid and they've just had the most frightening moment of their life. Their child's had a seizure and, and um, they're just scared to death. And then I get the other group, the people whose seizures aren't controlled. They're having a very bad time. They're having a difficult uh, trying to figure out what to do. The medicine's not working and they're looking for answers everywhere. Those are the two categories I get. And, and where can people find information about this phone line if they, uh, if they do have questions and they do want to reach out? Well, it, it's called the Epilepsy Information Service of Wake Forest University School of Medicine. It's an 800 number, 800-642-0500. It's an incredible service that you are providing, to be sure. Um, the other piece that you brought up that I... I absolutely love and I think is so incredibly important is educating within our school system. What, what was some of the response that you got from these fourth graders? I have them write an essay before and after. Uh, what is epilepsy slash seizures in case they know one term and not the other. And, and one of the most interesting things happened in one of the essays that I learned. I learned one thing that we teach so much more than we know. Uh, because this one child, and I do have a whole section uh, that talks about um, feelings and attitudes toward epilepsy and, uh, and what to do emotionally to help someone if they have a seizure. You know, I talk about what it would be like to have a seizure, feelings and emotions about that. And I had an essay, I mean, one of the essays come back that said to me, Thank you for coming to my classroom and teaching us about epilepsy. Um, we knew almost everything. And they did. Before I got there, a child had had a seizure and the teacher who had heard me for five years, 10 years, went ahead and gave all the information to the kids that I had taught. But, he said, but you taught us something else, how to care about people who have epilepsy. You taught us how to care. And I realized you can go in and teach statistics, but you can also teach attitudes. And we don't know it, but a lot of us are teaching attitudes, good and bad out there, by the, what we say and how we say it. That compassion and that the teaching, um, it, it, that's invaluable. And, and we are so grateful. But that's not all that you've done in your career, which is incredible. You've been the executive director of the Epilepsy Alliance of North Carolina for 15 years. Um, what does that organization do? What are you doing for the community? Tell us about your time with the, with the Epilepsy Alliance. Well, that organization um, sort of um, came upon bad times about 15 years ago and they were going to close. And we actually, and they, the board came to me and asked my help. And I agreed to come on and um, to head up that uh, agency as a volunteer. I don't get paid. This is, but it's so much of what I was doing in, anyway and what I wanted to do anyway. And it's been, a, I, you know, a wonderful organization. And I have found an incredible board made up of parents, mostly parents and people who have epilepsy. And um, we've really done a lot of things. I had uh, set up an epilepsy medication fund back in the 80s. 
And this organization has really helped me tremendously, especially when all of our funding was cut from the state budget. And we've been able to keep that medication fund going to, uh, through fundraising every waking moment. Uh, the board and this organization has been tremendous help for that. Um, but, you know, I, I feel so strongly that nonprofit organizations should be spending every penny on patient services, on doing what they should be doing. Um, so I'm really proud to head up an organization that's done a lot of work and, 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 and we've seen that all the funds go directly to what the patient needs are. It's, it's been, a, it's been a, a real pleasure to see that. With all of your experience within this community and helping the community, assisting the community, um, what do you recommend, um, you know, an individual or a loved one is diagnosed with epilepsy, what should they do? What do they need to know in the, after, in the immediate aftermath of receiving that diagnosis? They need to learn as much about this as they can and to reach out and learn about it in every way they can. You know, whether it be through local organizations, national organizations, information lines like mine, the first step is learn as much as you can about it. And then you need, begin, you need to begin developing a network, a network of resources, a network of friends and family who will support you and help you because it is a long and lonely road to do by yourself. There is so much to know and so much to negotiate. And there's the insurance to deal with and all these problems. You need as much support as you can get. And many times there'll be local organizations, local epilepsy alliances or, or other organizations that, that can help and they're out there. And you just need to ask and to look around and, and search and Google and, 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 and be aware also I've run into this from time to time. If you find yourself in groups who are incredibly negative, get out. You don't need that negativity. You need people who are there to help, not to just bash or bang or say how horrible this group is or that group. Get out of that group. That's not what you need. You need real good information um, and, and you need help that's very positive that's going to support you and, and help you feel more competent yourself. Absolutely. And, you know, when you're talking about, you know, we spoke earlier uh, about these comprehensive epilepsy centers, uh, which is incredible and amazing, but they're not always accessible. Um, mm -hmm. no, not at all. Or sometimes it can be incredibly challenging. You know, you're talking two, three, month waits or even longer to get an appointment with some of these doctors. What should these patients and caregivers do if it doesn't seem that that is an accessible option for them? Well, you know, not everyone needs to be seen at a comprehensive epilepsy program. I, have lot, I follow lots of patients who have been followed in their communities by really good doctors who are doing well. You know, you want to seek out a comprehensive epilepsy program when things are really not going well and you've tried a number of things and it's and those some of those centers have access to new treatments or different treatments or clinical drug trials um, that might be helpful. And, you know, sometimes you're not able to 
uh, afford to go to one of those centers or have the money to travel, you know, there are funds out there that you can access that may help you with this. Or sometimes people are able to get into NIH and get evaluated free. Uh, that's a possibility. So there's always different uh, programs that you might, might not be aware of that could help you. This is one of the things that I do a lot of times is help people get access to what they need. If they're not, if they're really uh, struggling and can't get an appointment, there's a backup. There may be another program nearby that that could access. They would be able to access, and you know sometimes they need help getting there. It sort of highlights um, these. There's a, a whole other podcast and a whole other conversation, <laughs> perhaps, but just sort of these socioeconomic. Um, pieces that, that become glaringly obvious for those that um, speak English as a first language or who, yeah. um, who have access to the internet, who have connections to get that doctor's appointment, whereas someone else um, has all of these significant barriers. And, and it's just, it, mm -hmm. that is something that keeps me up at night. Um, but I digress. Uh, I would be remiss in the in the current uh, state of COVID-19 that we were in, not to ask you with your pulse in the community, the way that it is, how are you seeing this pandemic affect the epilepsy community? What are the biggest concerns out there? Well, the biggest concerns I think for all of us is getting the virus. And, you know, of course, if you are at high risk, it is a very serious, uh, a very serious problem. Uh, and I think that our, you know, our big worry, our parents that who's who have lost their jobs or um, are having difficulty accessing um, care, accessing medicine. Um, that's this is a big one for me because we've we've watched all of our fundraisers. We've had to cancel them. We are not seeing donations coming in. Our program, our medicine program, right now is being run by uh, you know our fundraisers and. Uh, I mean, being funded by fundraisers and, and donations, and it, it concerns me greatly. Uh, so I think that access to what we need is one of the big worries uh, in regard to this pandemic. And we have no idea what the future is going to hold. I do at the same time have hope that we are a resilient group. And I have said before that there is no other group out there who is better uh, situated to cope with adversity than my parents with uh, kids with epilepsy. I have great faith in them. They have overcome so many things that and have grown from it and done things that amaze me that I, I think this group's ready to go to handle anything. Uh, and, and we'll be there to help them as best we can be. But there is hope. There's hope and help out there. We just need to know where to look and you bring hope to so many in your community and beyond and we are grateful for you and I am grateful uh, to have shared some of your decades of wisdom with our uh, listeners and viewers today. Thank you so much. Well, I want to thank you and I want to thank Cure for what you guys do. I've worked with your organization since the beginning and so impressed and, and you've made such a difference in in, uh, in the treatment of epilepsy and what it's going to be in the future. And I commend you. You've done a wonderful, wonderful job. Well, 
on behalf of the organization, we are thrilled and honored uh, to be entrusted with uh, funding the research that our community so desperately needs. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of CURE. The information contained herein is provided for general information only and does not offer medical advice or recommendations. Individuals should not rely on this information as a substitute for consultations with qualified healthcare professionals who are familiar with individual medical conditions and needs. CURE strongly recommends that care and treatment decisions related to epilepsy and any other medical condition be made in consultation with a patient's physician or other qualified healthcare professionals who are familiar with the individual's specific health situation. Your generosity is greatly appreciated. Thank you. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of CURE. The information contained herein is provided for general information only and does not offer medical advice or recommendations. Individuals should not rely on this information as a substitute for consultations with qualified healthcare professionals who are familiar with individual medical conditions and needs. CURE strongly recommends that care and treatment decisions related to epilepsy and any other medical condition be made in consultation with a patient's physician or other qualified healthcare professionals who are familiar with the individual's specific health situation.